Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. That's right, Danny. How are you, bud? I'm a little bit buzzed, actually. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. Are you? I have no buzz going. Wow. Wow. Was that because you were drunk when you walked into the studio today? (laughs) You can't get buzzed if you're already drunk. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's interesting because a few of these episodes now we have consumed alcohol during. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Do we need to establish a protocol for consumption in the studio? That's a great point. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. How do you feel about it, Tim? I like it. I can see you grimace every time someone pulls a bottle out of a bag. Though. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, I've made my living in spirits. I can't possibly. Well, I think today <laughs> was like one. one of the more delicious uh, experiences of it. Well, you know, Sam brought us a gift um, during her episode, before her episode. Yes, Samantha did. There's only one person who calls her Sam, and it is Jonathan Fritz. That's true. Sorry. Sorry, (laughs) Samantha. Which is funny, because in the outro, you called her Sam, and I'd been the one calling her Samantha, and now the tables have turned. It's true. Um, But uh, but yeah, she brought brought some some liquid gifts, and we we were restrained. I stole them from you. No, but we didn't drink them during the episode. And, uh, yeah, I brought the Neonette that she brought to the farm last weekend. We had Chris Delatore from oh, Joiner's wow. Pod. You may remember her episode. Uh, she came out to All the, the farm. All the Joiner's <laughs> guests have become Tim's best friends. That's right. Yep, it's a rotating circle. <laughs> yeah, Tim had no friends before the pod, and now he's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot like Conan's podcast, I'm just in search of uh, companionship. <laughs> yeah, 66 friends now. Um, no, but Chris came out. She took the train from the city out to the farm, and... Uh, she had a friend in town from Mexico City who is a soil scientist, Caroline, hmm. and they came out and we had a nice picnic at the farm and she... How many jokes about getting soiled did you make? Zero, because nice. I was saving it for you. <laughs> I didn't want to step on your toes. Um, and they kind of... I was nervous to have Chris out to the farm because it was the first year doing the um, garden at yeah. the farm. And Did you think she'd be critical? I thought she'd be very critical. I mean, she's so she's nice. Like I, that was not really a concern of mine. But the silent judgment was um, a fear of mine. And I'll, I'll tell you what. So we go out to the farm a lot, most weekends. Yep. But we're not the there enough to really tend to, like, harvesting stuff. So, like, you know, you got some rotten tomatoes on the vine. The tomatillos are splitting. It's not the ideal... Uh, right. Garden that I had envisioned, as my dad's not doing a, a ton of yeah, upkeep you're a gentleman on gentleman farmer. Gentleman farmer. Um, also, one thing we have two big beds in the garden, and for whatever reason, my dad put pumpkins in one of them, <laughs> and they pumpkins and uh, lemon cucumbers, which is like two things you don't really want. I mean, the pumpkins <laughs> are cool, but they just completely took over the entire bed. Uh, we made a few mistakes. Maybe that, that's a new side hustle. You guys gonna be a pumpkin pumpkins patch? And, uh, well, we're going to move them to the pasture for next year because there's more space over there and they can kind of do their thing. But they do expand really quickly. And we have, I don't know what kind of pumpkins he planted, but they're enormous. They're like gigantic <laughs> gourd prank level pumpkins. Like prank pumpkins. Yeah, like the size of a wagon. Maybe he was compensating for the tiny goat. <laughs> yeah, he's got to get it somewhere. Um, so, the, yeah, some of the mistakes we made uh, while we're on the topic, the pumpkins, get them out of the bed. You don't want to do that again. Lemon cucumbers, <laughs> never again. They are not delicious. Also, we had no green zucchinis. We only had yellow squash. Hmm. And these things grow to the size of, like, bigger than a newborn baby. Yeah. It's like some of them are, like, the size of my thigh from, like, waist to knee. And wow. no one wants to eat that crap. So <laughs> those that's, like, the thing that did the best. And uh, the kales did okay. The lettuces were fine. I love all the prank carrots. vegetables that were grown. 
honestly, you, we'd walk out there and be like, oh, God, another one of these yellow things. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then another mistake we made was we put um, our herbs in, like, an elevated trough. Yeah. And it was, like, a black plastic trough. Then we did, like, sticks underneath uh, soil mixed with manure. And I'm like, all right, this will be good. It'll be elevated. You know, that's a high-traffic place. We'll be going out for herbs all the time. It'll be nice not to have, a, have to go down to ground level. Well, the black plastic basically cooked, <laughs> basically <laughs> cooked the hot. soil. So everything was so hot. So that oh, inhibited man. growth and made everything taste bitter. So, I mean, it was the first year. It was a learning experience. Yeah. Chris was very complimentary. She's a like, lot of good great... lessons here. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're just going to let everything kind of die off and decay. And uh, hopefully the soil gets uh, more rich with, uh, enriched with the nutrients. And next year will be a more successful garden. I'm confident in next year being superior. Yeah. We get, when are you going to come out to the farm, Danny? You're out Dude, in Woodstock a yeah, lot. Let me know, man. It's nearby. We've never gotten that formal invite with like a wax stamp on the back of the envelope. Yeah. Well, we're fresh out of wax. Um, oh, gosh. Man. Well, this <laughs> switching week's guest, gears. Yeah, switching gears. Um, you know, we switched things up a little bit this week. Our guest is a bourbon expert, bourbon connoisseur. We took a deep dive on the topic of bourbon. Yeah. He's the executive director of a bourbon charity as well. That's right. Um, we got Chris Blattner here, who is better known as Urban Bourbonist. And back to the original topic, because we like to jump around over here. I appreciated what he brought into the studio this time. We tasted a couple of really nice whiskeys, um, which I, I mean, yeah, I love drinking whiskey. Yeah. Even so, in the middle yeah. of the day, Danny? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Reluctant. We didn't have, I mean, I didn't, you, you didn't really have a buzz, did you? Be honest. No, no, no. You're just buzzing from all that goofy yeah. paraphernalia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm still buzzing from the time that we smoked weed with Mindy. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> you still? It's been going on for about a week and a half. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks, baby. Um, uh, but yeah, so we switched it up. We learned a lot about bourbon. Yeah, I think Danny knew a lot to begin with. I took the role of noob. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning, you know, I've had whiskey, I've had bourbon. I don't know a ton about it. So hopefully I asked some questions that our listeners would appreciate hearing yeah, the answers sure. to. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with urban bourbonist, Chris Blattner. Welcome to the studio, Chris. Welcome in. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate you guys uh, asked me to do this. Yeah. So I think the last time we saw each other, yeah, was at that Armagnac tasting, that Bakta yeah. event. That was some time ago. Armagnac, Bakta. I feel like what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Armagnac is uh, basically similar to cognac, just not made in the same place. Um, an aged grape-based distillate. And uh, we were tasting with, uh, with Raj. Um, whose company it is. He started Whistlepig as well. Mm. And he pivoted to doing this Armagnac and doing all sorts of stuff. But this is no plug for Raj. <laughs> Maybe it um, is. Hold on real quick on uh, grape-based distillates. Yes. What else do you have? Grappa? You've got, yeah, Grappa, Pisco, uh, Brandy, which is, includes Cognac, uh, then Armagnac. What else am I missing here? Great. I think that's yeah, main, pretty those are main much covered the, from grapes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, and wine, although it's 
Would you throw wine Not in there? Not a distillate. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So yeah, we were tasting. It was apparently a long time ago, but since the pandemic, I feel like my notion of time <laughs> yeah. is all messed up. So this was pre-pandemic? I don't know. When, I think it was uh, after. I think it was. Or like it tail might have end. Been just like when things were sort of getting back to normal. So. Yeah. But it was a cool night. We were masked tasting. Masked or no? I don't think we were masked. I mean, we were special. tasting no, stuff. We're tasting mask. That would be cool. Yeah. That's something stock with. <laughs> I think the first masks that we got for the company for Scofflaw Group were the stock masks. They were. I remember them. I have a, I have a couple stock masks. Yeah. yeah. I have many of them at the distribution <laughs> sure center if you need any. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that sort of thing to tie it all in is something that uh, you are quite familiar with. I feel like you go to all the high end tasting, anything that's related to spirits, right? Yeah, I've, you know, mostly whiskey um, involved, but yeah, I've, I've been invited to some of those other, you know, adjacent spirits like Armagnac, Cognac, things like that, which I really enjoy exploring. But I think it's, it's really cool to expand the palate to, to those types of, of spirits beyond whiskey. Yeah. And how did you get into all of this? How did it begin? Oh, wow. First drink. Age, <laughs> age and setting, oh, please. The first, yeah. first drink I had was 16 years old, uh, freshman, in, freshman in high school. Actually, it was probably be, before 16 years yeah, old. Maybe uh, it was probably like 14, oh, 15 right. years old. Yeah. So like freshman year of high school, for sure. You know, some being stupid at some party, mm-hmm. drinking. Um, yeah, but as far as you know, getting into whiskey, it's a it's a fairly it's fairly new for me. Like 2019 ish is when I really started kind of like digging deep into into whiskey. I was always I was really into craft beer for the longest time. You know, exploring everything, buying everything. Chicago has amazing craft beer mm-hmm. scene. Um, and then around 2019, I started to just I started to get a little bored of it. And also, you know, that's when like all that weird, like milkshake IPA stuff was going on mm-hmm. and like everything was like a marshmallow flavor and, yeah. and all those weird things scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, I was just like, you know what, I, you know, I'm going to try, I'm just going to dive into whiskey a little bit. I had actually brought two bottles here today that like got me started had two bottles always on my bar at home just that you know just to have if people came over they wanted a whiskey drink i had a bourbon and a rye and i was like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna start with those and see like do i really like whiskey and so i dove into those two bottles which were uh, bourbon was the old granddad bonded and rittenhouse rye for a rye and like i drank both of those and i was like okay this i like this i really like this and so then from there, I just kind of started like a deep dive and just really went out, started trying things at bars, buying different bottles, then started, you know, dabbling in social media and just just looking around on Instagram, seeing what people were saying about whiskey. And then like it just completely and utterly snowballed from there. <laughs> so from early on, were you like was kind of your angle, I am new to bourbon and I want my followers to explore this with me as I learn. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of the idea. Like when I started my Instagram page, it was more of just yeah, pretty much that. Like I'm just going to 
post things that I'm trying and and give my you know give my take or my opinion on on these different whiskeys. And you know, as I was doing that, it just kind of grew into basically just expanding on that and and then really inserting myself into and I when I say inserting myself like really just inserting myself into conversations that were happening like in whiskey Instagram mm-hmm. and just like going after it and talking to people and asking people questions and like being really out there with my opinion and just being part of uh, of all the conversation that was that was happening and and um it was and still is it's awesome it's a really it's a really cool community uh on social media specifically instagram that's like that's my thing that's my that's my place i always think of like because i assume these conversations live in the comments right and i always think when i think comments i think trolls are there people out there who are overly opinionated or or like not as welcoming as you might expect or was it were you pretty um welcomed yeah you know for i think at least in my experience for the most part i think the the whiskey instagram is really accepting and really there's not a lot of people that are that are trolling and being negative it's i mean it's a pretty positive place which you know I don't really have much experience outside of that niche within social media. So like, Mm. that's my experience. And I realize that, you know, a lot of people have far different experiences in, in other things that they're associated with, um, and social media, but I think it's, it's majorly positive, um, in, in the whiskey niche. So even when like, I just came in and just barreled into a conversation, and started, you know, making comments and and talking with people. Like it was well received. Like I never, I never got comments that were like, "Oh, you're you're a noob," or you mm-hmm. know, "You don't know what you're talking about," or "I yeah. can't believe that you like you know X Y Z whiskey." Like it's all, it's a pretty positive space, which That's is nice. which yeah, is people call us kind of shocking every day. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's yeah. kind of like an old yeah. school uh, reference. There. Yeah, yeah. Dude, they're telling us we're getting pwned out yeah, here. Yeah, we're constantly getting pwned by <laughs> yeah, pwned. being called noobs. It's, it's very discouraging <laughs> for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, and then, like, what were you doing? Is this full time now? It is not. So okay. it's still more of a an enthusiast type of thing. I have done. You know some things that have that have paid um but it's you know it's not it's not paying the bills but um, is that the dream though to have it become full-time yeah i think it would be that would be the dream and and in a way it's like i'm i'm working towards there like it's it's definitely led me to outside of monetary things it's led me to just so many amazing experiences and amazing people that that i've been able to meet like i was just telling it before we started i just came from kentucky the kentucky bourbon festival and i I was lucky enough to have like a media pass into the festival how big is this festival like set the stage oh it's it's one of the bigger whiskey festivals out there and obviously being in bardstown kentucky the bourbon capital of of the world it's like a big deal like anybody who is anybody in the whiskey industry in terms of like brands are are there and you know there's probably i don't know what 
they do in terms of sales and number of people, but it's got to be close to 10,000 people like wow, yeah. that they that buy tickets to the to the event, which is, you know, that's a it's a good size festival for a, a small town like Bardstown, but yeah. uh, who organizes it? Is it um so the festival is a, is um, its own like entity, okay. the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. They're, so it's not uh, like the proprietors are getting together because I know that I think it's a pretty close knit group of the owners of these um, you know generational distilleries. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, within the whiskey community, it's like it's pretty it's pretty tight knit. Everyone knows everyone knows everyone, and they know what each other is doing for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and what kind of like what were the first distilleries that you fell in love with so i'm a big jim beam guy yeah so i i love you know pretty much anything that that comes out of there um it's just a it's just a it just hits my palate in in the right way and i i love that distillery but i'm also a big fan of pinhook which is kind of a new and and up-and-coming brand and um i i like to explore some some of the craft distilleries like uh, yeah. chattanooga whiskey is another one out of t- out of tennessee that's doing like some super cool stuff uh with whiskey and and different different things like approaching it in um in a different way um so i like you know i like to explore but if there was like one distillery that that really gets me it's it's jim beam i just anything they put out as i'm a fan yeah that's cool and when you first like started going down the rabbit hole you had this the written house at home, the OGD at home, like what, what were the steps you were taking to find out more? Like, like how what did publications you... is he following? Yeah. Like guess, yeah. What was the process like, like learning about the juice, learning about the aging process, the barrel chars. I mean, where, you know, all of that. And, and really the first thing I did. So we're talking like mid 2019 is when I'm, when I'm starting to really get into this. I immediately started looking like how can I how can I educate myself more? Where how can I take this to the to the next level? And I found uh, Moonshine University down in uh, Louisville, and uh, they do like a course called the Executive Bourbon Course, hmm. and like they immerse you in like a, in a full day of education, and you actually they have like a mini distillery on site, and you go through actually making a batch of whiskey the day that you're there from the grain all the way, you know, through the still all the way to the end. Wow. And then immersing you in history and all that. And you, you know, it's, it's a, like an eight hour course that you do. And, um, so that I immediately signed up for that and went down to Kentucky. That was like September of 2019. Did that. I did like a tour of the Kentucky bourbon trail and, and that's like, how I first just started to try to immerse myself and learn more. Was this a solo endeavor? Did you have friends? Solo. Along? Yeah. 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 I've actually, I've made a lot of friends mm-hmm. through, through this and, and through the exploration of, of whiskey. But yeah, this was a, a solo thing. Um, my brother's kind of into whiskey. So he, you know, he kind of like, when I was like, yeah, I'm kind of souring on craft beer a little bit. He's like, Hey, Check out whiskey. There's some, <laughs> it's like, come there's, with me. There's, there's some good stuff. And then, yeah, he's like, dude, you know so much now. <laughs> <laughs> was it always your personality type to kind of like go down the rabbit hole, like to be a, a little obsessive or? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I have some, I have some other obsessions like watches and, and uh, shoes and, 
Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I could, I have. I'd say watches <laughs> and whiskey go together. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's actually a lot of watches and whiskey accounts yeah. on, on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, another niche, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, what were the things that you learned, I guess, that, that surprised you that weren't super obvious from the beginning? Just about bourbon in general as a category or, you know, any parts of the process. I think that what was surprising to me is how, how different, you know, uh, a mash bill can be. So the grains that make up um, a bourbon and the variety of grains that can be used and that, that are being used um, across so many different distilleries to create what is essentially, you know, a thing that everyone calls bourbon, but it is it can be so wildly different just starting with the grain that is used. And then of course, learning about all of the effects that, you know, uh, these microclimates where the barrels are stored in certain rick houses and certain places is all pretty fascinating, fascinating to me. The barrel is completely fascinating. Like you can talk to some people who can dissect barrel technology and, and things that are happening with the barrel and the interaction of the whiskey with the barrel. That's so, I think it's super cool. Like I get really nerdy about that stuff, but yeah. One thing that I remember learning, uh, at some point someone told me that, you know, wild Turkey used the, the alligator char, which is the level four char. So basically mm -hmm. there are four levels of char on, on a barrel before whiskey goes into it. And I was told that wild turkey was distinct because they, they did the alligator char, the level four, the highest char on a barrel. And then I was somewhere else doing some other <laughs> bourbon tour, and they were like, we all use level four. Yeah. Like, that's not distinct at all. <laughs> it's toasted. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, it's like it's toasted. And it was like just so funny because there are four levels of char possible uh, that are classified, I guess. And everyone does the highest level of char because it, it – uh, it lends the most flavor to the finished product. Alligator um, char refers to the texture. I yeah, to, yeah. So it's probably kind of looks more like, surface area. Yeah, for, exactly. Okay. Yeah. But it was just so funny because I feel like for years I'd been talking about like <laughs> wild turkey. They do an alligator char level four, and then I was somewhere else, and they're like, "Yeah, everyone does that." Yeah. Well, you will see now. Like people have started to definitely play around with uh, less, with, with the barrels less, and even yeah. some like going trying to go beyond that and. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And then, yeah. Do you want to tell people briefly what makes bourbon bourbon, what the laws are? Yeah, sure. So the main thing is that, well, it can only be made in the United States, uh, to be classified as bourbon. Now you could follow the same, the same makeup that, uh, of a bourbon and make it outside of the country, but you can't, you can't call it bourbon. So it's basically in the United States has to be at least 51% corn. And then it has to go into a new charred oak container after you distill it so it leaves a lot of leeway for you to use a lot of other grains that make up that other 49 percent of of the grain bill and you can do some some interesting things with barrels as we just kind of commented on but most of them are using beyond corn uh rye wheat or malted barley right yeah so you does you, anyone use something that's not those four things yeah you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of places are experimenting now with either different different types of barleys like in terms of like you know chocolate malt or mm. honey malt huh. or caramel malt which actually that's what chattanooga does so oh, um, i didn't know that and then you'll see uh, companies using uh oats and uh you know like amaranth and all sorts of different, yeah, different does things that stuff, yeah right? yeah i mean but they're not calling it 
bourbon i don't think and they're and they're st- well they have like specific oated whatever yeah yeah so caval i think does like a 100 percent oat uh, yeah. whiskey but yeah you'll see you'll see uh, a lot of distilleries especially craft guys playing around with the mash bill these days to kind of differentiate what they're doing you know taking that 51 percent corn and then you know playing around with all the other other grains there's a small distillery down in Alabama called Detling, and they have like a six grain bourbon. Hmm. So, and of all the distilleries that you've toured at this point, which is the most impressive hmm. facility to you? In terms of like modern facility, it's probably Bardstown Bourbon Company. It's like the most modern place like that that you can walk into. In terms of history, and just being a, his, a historic place, it's. It's hard to beat Buffalo Trace. Yeah, like, it's, that's kind of like to me. I I thought of it as like the Disneyland of the yeah of the whiskey distilleries. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's just Disneyland in the, that it's commercialized. You mean no, just like, like how it, how beautiful it is. Like the oh, scope like of it. Oh, like happiest place on earth. Happiest place. Yeah, on earth, yeah, like yeah, an yeah. Adult Disneyland. <laughs> um, yeah. If if you're a whiskey nerd, that's like. That's pretty ultimate in terms yeah. of Don't history. Don't Disney adults, Danny. That's a thing, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you of all people should know that. I, that's my other Instagram account. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just, like, fun to go down there and see, you know, because everyone tells their story, right? Yeah. So I think maybe something that's worth talking about is all the heritage brands tell some story about how their grandpappy's recipe and yeah yeah, like they were the first to do this or the first to discover barrel aging or you know like how do you i guess how do you incorporate the lore into your evaluation yeah does the lore taste better (laughs) i don't i don't really consider any of that when i'm when i'm yeah it's just the juice for you yeah it's i mean stories are nice it's you know real and like history that's real that you can that you can talk about is definitely cool like i love all that stuff but when it comes down to it like whether this is you know a 110 year old recipe from your grandpappy if it doesn't taste good i mean right. the story doesn't really mean much right you know? i mean the, the thing that comes to mind is like the templeton backlash uh when they were talking about how the recipe was you know, yeah. unearthed and how <laughs> essentially there was no truth to the story. Yeah. They were sourcing the whiskey from Indiana. Yeah. Um, mm. and so like, I feel like that brand had the biggest like blowback and I don't even know if like the sales were affected or anything. I just know in the small community that we live in, yeah, uh, there was a lot of respect lost. It, it, there was. And I think that that was a little bit before I got into whiskey, but I'm fully aware of, you know, what all went down there. But I think that in a way was good for whiskey because it started a trend towards more transparency. Yeah. You know, they were they were basically just completely lying about <laughs> yeah. what was yeah. happening. And and I, I think a lot of brands were at at the time. And I think it led to like some brands stopping and going, well, you know what, let's just tell people what we're doing. And, and ultimately that's probably going to be better for us, Yeah. you know? And so now you'll see, like, you can look at a lot of, like a lot of bottles and they just, they will just plainly say like right on the, on the side of the label, you know, this is the mash bill. This is how long right. it was aged. These are the barrels we use. Like this is where it was stored, like everything. That a, that's a fairly new phenomenon that level of transparency yeah that's that's 
definitely within, I would say, the last probably five years for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really become, like, the consumer has basically started to, to demand, like, we want to know where the whiskey is from. We want to know how it's made. We want to know your recipe, you know. And for the most part, brands have, I think, embraced it. Yeah, and except a lot of them are probably not saying that, like, MGPI sourced <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, if it is, it'll just say distilled in Indiana. And you can pretty, for the most part, if you see that, you know it's sourced for the most part, it's sourced from MGP. Yeah. What's MGP? Um, yeah. It's a huge, like, factory that makes whiskey. They make fantastic whiskey. Yeah. But it's just, they just produce, mass produce, you know, bourbon and rye and, yeah, so and like, everything. Let's say where are they based? In Indiana. Yeah, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Okay. So let's say you're starting Tim's Bourbon. Yeah. And you don't have your distillery. And let's say your distillery uh, is up and running tomorrow. Obviously, it would take you at least a couple of years to age something respectable, but you mm -hmm. still need somebody to sell from day one. So a lot of these people just start buying from, they, you know, outsource the juice, right. so to speak, mm -hmm. and they slap their brand, uh, their label on that juice uh, and kind of, I don't, they don't necessarily sell it as their, I mean, I guess they do. They, they don't necessarily yeah. pretend that they made it, but they put their brand on it and you as the consumer would assume that they did make it. Yeah. Yeah. So what it's kind level, of like a weird lie, I guess. But what level of uh, control would I have over how you could Tim's choose... bourbon is made? Like, are there like different yeah. recipes, different recipes aged. ready to go? Yeah. Aged. Yep. Oh, wow. Aged. Yeah. Okay. Recipe. I assume there's strain. a correlation with price and age. For sure. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So Time you would money. need a lot of money <laughs> yeah. first yeah. to, to buy like some aged whiskey. Yeah, what do you think an MOQ stuff. with MGP is? Is it by the barrel? <laughs> I bet you could uh, buy that's... one barrel, but they'd charge you a buttload for it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I they mean, wouldn't. I don't know. I would bet, depending on who you are, 500 probably minimum 500 barrels maybe maybe you could get less these days a i mean the market's going like down a little <laughs> yeah <laughs> you could probably get yeah you could probably get like 10 barrels if you want it yeah. but uh yeah but there's a lot of brands that are doing that now yeah and who's the most and, successful uh so the most successful would be penelope bourbon so penelope started the brand geez i think four four or five years ago, maybe sourcing from MGP, just creating their own labels, doing their own blending to try to put their own spin on it. Never, ever always being transparent that that's mm -hmm. what they were doing. Well, guess who bought them about, I don't know, two, three months ago. Jim Beam. No, MGP. Uh, oh, okay. So they bought So that's an option too, so yeah. they could acquire something So they acquired a brand who was buying whiskey from them and yeah, creating wild. creating their own basic their own product yeah and they, they flipped it on them yeah they flipped, they flipped them. it on they them. Gave they the flipped old it one on too them. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that i mean that's a hugely successful brand in yeah. terms of like we were sourcing from you and then you bought wow. us yeah do we have an idea of what uh that sale looked like financially yeah hundreds of millions of dollars yeah <laughs> well yeah i assume but like do we have a precise number is that a pri uh, private i think it was i think it was Two, over two hundred million dollars. I always tell Danny I could retire on two hundred million. That's my I, magic number. Yeah, yeah. Just, that's the magic number. To hang so up my cool headphones. Mil, yeah, to hang. His <laughs> Close my laptop and call it. To quits. turn this recording yeah. light off. I think, yeah, I think I could live live on air. But yeah. I could make that work. 
This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. All right, so that that's a unique story, but like when you've got so much of this world is heritage and lore and storytelling, that's got to work against a new brand. What are some things that startups can do that to innovate? Because I guess like in a way, the old brands are kind of stuck. Yeah, they can't really innovate because people expect things from them. I mean, they can release new products, but really, it's they want to do it the same way they've been doing it for hundreds of years. What I, I guess that could be an advantage for a new company, but how do, how do you balance that, I guess? What, what do people have working for them and against them starting a new whiskey company? Well, starting a new whiskey company, just the, the sheer reach. You don't have reach. Mm-hmm. So what a, what a lot of the new brands have, have smartly done is, and of course I'm just looking at this from my experience and perspective, but they have really embraced the social media aspect of things and just come out and kind of introduce the brand to through social media and through influencers and through just talk like having direct conversations like you know how i talked when i started my page like i just inserted myself into conversations Mm -hmm. a lot of brands that have been smart have really done the same thing have just come in and been like here we are what do you want to know? Or this is, this is what we're doing. Commenting on, you know, just random posts and just, just going to Jim Beam's page and just commenting in their (laughs) comments. Like, Hey, you want to hear a good, (laughs) (laughs) we have actual good. I don't think anyone's really taken it that far, but yeah, like (laughs) just trolling the big, uh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Actually, it it could, it could potentially work. (laughs) They delete those posts. So setting up tables at Benny's, you know, you got to get it in people's mouths. Yeah. And, um, really just, and then, you know, just trying to tell people like what you're, what you're doing. And I think the transparency aspect comes in huge in that as And when it, when it's a new brand, like everyone wants to know every detail about what you're doing. And if you won't tell me, then I'm just going to move on to the next guy who will. And so I think that's a huge part of, of being a new brand as well. Mm-hmm. Just being open and honest about everything you're doing. Are you making your own whiskey? Or are you sourcing it? Are you a blender? Um, you know, what's your deal? But on the other side of that, couldn't you just be like, well, it doesn't matter how we're doing it. It, it's the taste that matters. Or do you think in a way, yeah, because I do think that, yes, ultimately if it doesn't taste good, you're going to like, people are going to root that out pretty quickly. Yeah. But if I'm like, well, this tastes great and this tastes great, but this one's made a certain way and this one, they took some shortcuts at the end of the day. I mean, if this is, if. A is a hundred dollar bottle. This one's twenty five. I, I I struggle with how to balance that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're thinking of it, and I'm not. Very, I'm not an aficionado. No, yeah, I'm, I'm talking like, like objectively. You are correct. However, a long time ago, uh, someone created a, a bourbon, a weeded bourbon that tasted very similar to a Pappy Expression, and they like worked really hard at creating this kind of clone, mm-hmm. um, and then 
obviously what ends up happening is Pappy's still Pappy. No one gives a shit about them. <laughs> yeah. Because even though they made something that tastes similar and cost far less, it didn't have, it didn't carry any of the story. Right. The like scarcity. Said, yeah. Yeah. There's just so much that goes into it beyond the taste. Um, I mean, for better and worse, you know, yeah. you have to also it's like kind of wacky when you enter the market, you have to like, you have to think about everything. Your package has to look good. Like you can't come out with like a crappy looking bottle mm-hmm. and like everything has to like the marketing aspect is a huge, huge part of it. There's been several brands that have launched recently. I'll give you an example. One is called blue run. And one of the one of the people on their team was like a former or is still a Nike shoe designer. Come out with a like really beautiful bottle. It's shaped really, like a shoe. <laughs> yeah, Danny. Um, you know, it really kind of like modern looking, and just all it has on it is one like butterfly. And, like, it really looks cool. Mm-hmm. So immediately, like, it, it has your attention. Like, they're coming at you with, like, this really beautiful package. And then, yeah, beyond that, like, what's inside the bottle ultimately needs to be good. But that gets the bottle into people's hands yeah, initially. That's the, hook. that's the hook. Yeah. So things like that, I think, are hugely important um, these days when, when you're a new brand. And they were just acquired, by the way, by Coors. Wow. Miller Coors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the same one right yeah, yeah i think so. that's interesting um yeah packaging is so important hmm. i'm looking at the packaging right now blue run yeah it's pretty it's pretty nice it's you know it's minimalist what are some things i guess since uh since i feel like pappy's been brought up or someone saying grandpappy and tim me <laughs> saying pappy who knows? um but what are some you know i guess both sides what are some overrated uh, whiskeys oh, you've come across. You put me on the spot Danny, there. you're ruining uh, the gratuity round. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't. I'll fine. I'll say it. Um, <laughs> I'm not a. I'm not a. I feel like Buffalo Trace is wildly overblown in terms of their entire product line. Mm-hmm. Do they make really good whiskey? Yes, they make really good whiskey. Tastes good, but it's not like. There's plenty of other whiskey out there that you could compare it to that's just as good. And I think they, you know, that particular distillery has done a very good job of playing the game of supply and demand. Yep. You know, and and keeping supply low to keep the demand high. Mm -hmm. And it's worked for them in in a really, really, really big way. Yeah. And how about like an underrated... Oh man, there's there's a lot of a lot of whiskeys today that are that are coming out that are underrated. I would I would tell people to just explore craft. I brought a couple here today, Pinhook and Chattanooga whiskey. You know, smaller brands that are that are, you know, within that created within the last 10 years that are that are making their own whiskey now and and doing interesting things with it that they're kind of, you know, flying under the radar. They're not the they're not the biggest brands, but I would just tell people to explore more of the younger craft whiskey brands because you're going to find you're going to find some gems within within those yeah 
I mean, yeah, that is always like fun to try new stuff. Um, Chattanooga is doing really cool stuff. Is that the 111 proof one? So I actually brought a single barrel. Oh, cool. And this is based on their, uh, so they have the Chat 91, which was, so they experimented when they were first starting out. They created like 100 different recipes. And their flagship bourbon ended up being like barrel 91. So they took that recipe and they they expanded it into um, like their main offering. Well, this is that, but at cask strength and, nice. and a so single barrel. Burn Tim's palate off. Do we want to try this? Yeah, let's do it. All right. It's 120.5 <laughs> so proof. Awesomely we'll just... aggressive. Danny's walking home. Um, well, what's the pinhook proof next to it? Pinhook is 101. All right. It might be smarter. Try the pinhook first. Yeah, right? smarter. Oh, actually, well, I just poured that. We can share this one. Okay. And then, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're in Danny's adult Disney-themed glasses. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You guys will have to share this one, I got too. mini. Yeah, it's all good. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, thank you for so bringing we're starting, stuff. We want to start here? Yeah, start so with we're the starting pin hook. pin hook. All right. So, so what's the deal? So pin hook is... So th their contract distilling. Great so they're they're not an actual distillery themselves in terms of like they're not making it themselves like no one from Pinhook is making the whiskey but they've contracted Castle and Key Distillery mm -hmm. to make their own, their recipe that they've that they've created according to you know how they want it made and what what yeast to use when fermenting all that so in essence they're like they're making this whiskey. Um, I think it's 75% corn, 15% rye, and then the rest is uh, malted barley. Um, what I think is cool about Pinhook is they, you see this bottle, this is the 2023 release. So they're big into vintages. So this is like the 2023 vintage of their bourbon. And they do this every year. So every year their vintage is different. It's blended differently. They're using mm. different different barrels. And I think they're they're one of the first brands to actually like talk about vintage when it comes to whiskey. Like you see that in wine right. all the time. And I think that's something unique about them and that I really like because once this is gone, it's gone. Yeah, like you're never, never tasting this whiskey again because the 2024 will be totally different. Hmm. And last year's was totally different from this. So, so does that make them collectible and more... Um, they fetch more on the secondary market. So, I I don't know about I don't I don't follow secondary very much. Yeah, Chris eventually he has twenty cases at home, but he doesn't follow. <laughs> <laughs> um, eventually, yes, that probably will be the case with mm -hmm. something like this. Like when you start when you start talking about those things in whiskey and limited editions and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's, like the Willet barrels, always yeah. like the single barrel family estate Willet stuff. Like yeah. the different labels on the back, people are like, oh man, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The lightning is like oh, something becomes legendary, yeah, and exactly. then like next thing you know, yeah, it's like a few grand to buy that bottle. Yeah, yeah. it's gotten outrageous. Yeah, is there is that controlled? Like, could are there people sitting on For boxes sure. of this stuff, and they're like. We're going to make this one popular now. I'm no, going to cash out. Does that happen? People sit on it for sure, but they're not the ones necessarily pulling the strings of creating the hype. Yeah. Maybe they is? are. What's up? Who is? Hmm. I think people like, I mean, like Chris was saying, someone just will love like a certain expression of something, some specific barrel of Willet or whatever, mm -hmm. and they'll kind of talk about it. And then someone else will chime in on the forum and be like, oh, man, that one is the best, yeah. like absolutely killer, best of all time. And it happens fast. And then people like, just like go nuts, like on that one thing. Yeah. 
And, and it could be orchestrated by the collector. That's actually pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. It would be a guy who's got you know. But it would be so obvious it. if it was the same guy every time yeah. having those. You yeah. know what I mean? It's collusion. <laughs> yeah, there was one guy that used to like just buy a bunch of Pappy around the holidays, and just anyone that had it, he would pay top dollar for it, and he just like keep amassing so much. Well, you could make you could make I'm some sure, good money yeah. on that. I'm yeah. sure he did. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. He there was the um, there was the Pappy truck that was famously robbed. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anthony Bourdain was implicated in the, although I think he was absolved. But did we ever get clarity on what happened there? Was that ever, it was, was that like product ever? It was an inside, I think it was, yeah. employees. It was, it was employees. Yeah, yeah is what yeah. I remember. Somewhere along the supply Which chain. Which one? So Tim has the Chattanooga one over there. So that's, yeah. Cha- yeah. Well, so, yeah, that's the higher proof 122. That's a, that's a yeah, that's going to be stinging a little, sniff. Yeah. Yeah, it's high proof, baby. So these are the, these are the guys that I was Darker. saying, like, it's it's a bourbon so it's 51 percent corn at least and then they're every other grain that they use in their mash bills is always malted so they're kind of taking like sort of like a beer approach to uh distilling obviously you make a beer when you when you're making whiskey first so you end up with a distiller's beer and then you distill that but their head distiller their master distiller actually came from boston beer company so beer brewing background he's like hey let's you know let's do some cool stuff with malted grains so they'll they'll use the corn and then everything else they use in the mash bill is is malted so they have malted rye and i think two different types of malted barley in this whiskey so it just adds something a little bit different a little different yeah. depth of flavor i feel like that whiskey. one has a lot more like fruit almost like a dr pepper vibe to mm. it Ooh. darker definitely and then the first one that we tasted the pin hook was like a little lighter, obviously, by comparison, but, like, more coconut, cacao. It yeah. had corn up front, and then, but the finish was, like, very dry, almost, yeah. like, a tiny bit bitter. Um, whereas, yeah, the second one was just, like, way more concentrated, way more. It kind of punches you in the mouth. Yeah. yeah. Do you but find. awesome. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, this, it is very fun. I mean, there's a reason a lot of us uh, fell down this rabbit hole. Yeah. Do you find that your um, background with craft beer kind of trained your palate to notice some of these subtle flavors or do you uh, and have you improved since 2019 when you went down this rabbit hole actually i don't i i mean i never really thought about the craft beer thing because most of my like when i talk tasting notes and this people have different opinions on on tasting notes i happen to love them i want to hear them from everyone taste is obviously very personal subjective mm-hmm. What I'm tasting is not what you're tasting, or it might be the same. We're tasting the same thing and we're talking about it in a different way. But my, like most of what I talk about when I taste goes back to, it's funny, it goes back to candy. And I ate a lot of candy as a kid. So like a lot of my like really intense flavor memories or food memories are from being a kid and and eating candy. So I tend to pick out like, those sweeter candy notes in whiskeys mm-hmm. and i always go back to the like those memories are very very vivid for me mm. so that's like uh, what i talk about a lot when i talk when i when i talk about tasting notes in in whiskeys and you know sometimes people think i'm crazy when i'm like you know that tastes like smarties mm-hmm. or that tastes like you know uh, uh lickamade i don't know if you guys yeah, are, yeah i remember that lick-a-made. yeah of course like, like, and, and those are just because, and that's simply because like, 
I can't turn that off. You know, yeah, it's yeah, just like, cool, that's though. what pops into my head. So I just say it and like, it doesn't, it doesn't make me right about yeah, what, what the whiskey tastes like. Yeah. yeah. So you, do you lead tastings as well? And I do. So, so I, I, I haven't, I've gotten away from it a little bit, but, um, I enjoy doing it. Um, I, I, especially during the pandemic, I did a ton of like corporate tastings for, for companies virtually. Um, and a few, you know, a few private ones just for, you know, a group of friends. Um, so yeah, I do do it. I enjoy doing it and, uh, I'd like to do more of them. What's some advice you give to a first time taster? <laughs> so I like to, to tell people to like, like when you stuck your nose, I should have told you this, like when you stuck your nose into the glass, you're like, oh, that's kind of like singed, uh, singed the nose a little <laughs> it's bit. like, like paint thinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like al- always be like cognizant of, of that. Like, like don't shove your nose directly in the glass at first. Kind of like just bring it up slowly. Like basically like from your chin. <laughs> kind of right? like that. Do the wafting motion. Yeah. You know, like start it at your chin and like bring it up slowly towards your, t- towards your nose to smell. And then also to like... When you take your first sip, like, don't even really think about the whiskey when you take the first sip. Just let that, like, wake your palate up. Let that just kind of, like, distribute some of the, the flavor. You'll you'll start to, like, get acclimated to the to the burn of the whiskey when, when you're drinking. And then from there, just, like, I always just tell people to, I love talking flavor. So I always tell people to just, like, think about, just think about what you're tasting and say, the first thing that comes to your mind and like that just gets kind of like the ball rolling. And I, I, and the reason I do that is because I feel like people have more of an appreciation for something when they can, when they can dissect it a little bit and when they can start to pull out like little flavors that they enjoy or maybe that they don't like. And it just gives them a better appreciation for the spirit rather than just like drinking it and being like, yeah, it's good or it's bad, Mm -hmm. but like, what's good about it? What's bad about it? And that's where you start to get into like, you know, thinking a little bit deeper about the spirit. And that's the stuff that like, I love, I, I geek out over that stuff. Yeah. I think oftentimes people just don't, yeah, don't take enough time with what they're tasting. That's the thing. Take your time. And I feel like, um, the more you sit with it, the more you smell it, think on it. I think the more flavors come to mind. Um, it's kind of like, you know, it's a discipline and it's kind of like annoying to sit with one thing for <laughs> yeah. a long time and not be drinking it that whole time. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, I feel like that was always helpful f- for me in the beginning. For sure. And and when it comes to whiskey, like it is kind of one of those things that you, you don't just, obviously people do shoot it, but like it's something too like sit, enjoy it, think about it a little bit. That's what makes it fun. Yeah. And you've also like done some, correct me if I'm wrong here. Have (laughs) you done like consulting on menus, like whiskey menus and stuff like that? Uh, I haven't done any menus. I would like to, because there's plenty of places I walk into and I'm like, "Hmm, the selection could probably be a little bit better. Yeah. So what are the things that you look for, I guess, on like a menu uh, to see if it's like well-rounded or yeah I like you know I like to see like you know I'd love to see yeah it's great that you have something from each of the six major distilleries in Kentucky that's great everybody has that like expand a little bit into like there's got to be something local 
one in most places that you could have on on your whiskey list and then start like you know branching out into some of the other like craft brands that are that are out there i'd like to see more of that on on a lot of especially restaurants and and smaller bars like you know have something that's a little unique and then yeah well-rounded like you want to have you you need to have some bourbons you need to have some rye if we're talking American whiskey, now you need to have uh, American single malt thrown into that too. That's a growing that's a growing category that's worth uh, having, I think. Cool. Real quick, what are the big six? Oh, I don't know if I can name them all. So Wild Hill, Turkey, Heaven Hill, Beam. Buffalo Trace, Beam. Um, then I mean, well, uh, KBD became Willet became whatever. Yeah, right? I don't know if Willet, yeah, Willet's probably one okay. of them. That's five. And the then, six might be well, yeah. Maker's is a part of Beam now, but yeah, it wasn't. Maker's probably is is would be considered the big six. Yeah. yeah. Have acquisitions and consolidation to that? Does that affect the quality of the product at all, or do people still run autonomously? I guess it depends. Like um, like Maker's being acquired by Beam, I don't think anything changed there. Mm-hmm. Like that's they just that was simply just a. Uh, play for you know make to be bigger um but like i I don't know some of these smaller brands that get acquired i think that things probably will change if you know if they get acquired by a a large a larger distillery like i don't like how could they not yeah especially when you scale production yeah yeah but also scarcity is interesting and that's what it is people want yeah for sure and it, it, it's it is also interesting in whiskey like a lot of it is automated these days so like mm. if the process is down as as you're a craft distiller and if that process remains the same then i guess you know if it's just ramped up then the whiskey should probably remain the same yeah so at, at these events of whiskey tasting event like a big one the one you were at was that last weekend yeah okay yeah. So I would imagine the crew walking into that event looks very different from the crew walking out of that event. Do you have <laughs> any fun stories of things you've seen? Oh God, uh, I have go a good one from just this past weekend, Let's which is actually it. pretty dangerous too. So um, went to an so went to the festival, and then after the festival there was an after party, and it was it was for a brand that does. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say the brand because I don't want to get them in trouble, but mm. they do a unique thing with their whiskey where they put broken barrel staves into the people are going to figure it out. So yeah, anyways, Maker's 46. No, no, this is, I actually yeah. just said the brand name by right. saying broken barrel staves. But uh, <laughs> anyway, there was an right, after party yeah. and they rolled out some barrels and proceeded to allow people to take an axe to these barrels after everyone had been out drinking. Thankfully, like nothing went horribly nothing wrong. went horribly wrong, but it could have gone very, very yeah. badly. <laughs> so this was an after party. Yeah, and this yeah. was an after party. <laughs> and like yeah, it was I was like, this is probably not the greatest idea. Yeah. That's pretty funny. I, when you go to a Grateful Dead show, I, I sat in the front row of uh, two hundred level last time at Wrigley Field this summer and um when you're in front of an alley like that, it's just kind of a constant <laughs> flow of people <laughs> who've yeah. partied too hard being escorted <laughs> out, whether or not they're in wheelchairs or on structure or whatever. It's always uh, fun people watching. Yeah, so I yeah. assume there's some of that at these whiskey events yeah, too, where people sure. are uh, 
maybe a little too eager to break even on their ticket price. Yeah, I, that, a lot of that. <laughs> I saw I saw a few people uh, uh, sleeping under trees this past weekend, yeah. uh, taking a little nap during the day. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. How about like a single pour you enjoyed during this fest? That was the highlight. Yeah, there was a really good one from a company called Redline. And uh, sourcing, they're sourcing whiskey. They're not, they're not making their own whiskey, but they're doing some really interesting like finishes on the whiskey. And they had done this finish. They called it a vanilla barrel finish. But what it was was a French brandy that was made from, I forget what grape or what it was, or somehow there was vanilla involved. And it was from France, and it was just a really amazing pour and then went through that entire lineup from from that brand uh redline and was blown away by like what Mm. they were doing and all they were doing is kind of they're doing their own blending but also kind of putting their spin on the whiskey by doing unique finishes yeah which uh, you know a lot of people are doing that these days but i really thought what they were doing was impressive they did a good job yeah they did a really good job um, folks in Chicago who want to explore whiskey, what are some good bars or restaurants that have expansive lists and maybe bartenders who are willing to educate? Uh, there's, there's quite a few, um, right off the bat, like Delilah's is one of the greatest whiskey bars really on, on the planet. Um, I really like Rebel and Rye. Uh, Twisted Spoke is great. Uh, Untitled is great. Kind of a sneaky whiskey bar uh, is Duke of Perth. Mm-hmm. They've got a really sneaky. Like Anderson. Wait, where is uh, Duke of Perth? Um, Sorry. Like Lakeview. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah, Lakeview. Okay. They've got like a sneaky list there. Uh, those are some. Those are some good spots. Cool. And then uh, yay or nay on putting ice in whiskey. If you like ice in in your whiskey, for you, totally. I mean, are you going? Uh, you going neat? I, I typically drink neat, and yeah. then occasionally what I like to do is add a little water. Like, so that one that we had before, that 120 proof, proof whiskey, like, I'll start off with that neat, and then I'll add, like, a little water to mm-hmm. it just to see, like, what happens to the whiskey um, as you do that. And, I mean, if you want to put your whiskey over a cube, put your whiskey over a cube. Like, I'm a cube guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to come out and say Yeah. That's totally. I'm a cuber. Yeah, yeah. I, I know a lot. I'm of people. a cube guy with cocktails generally. Yeah, um, yeah. but spirits, not usually. I like yeah. a little dilution. Yeah, I feel like I, I taste things better. I don't think yeah. I have a great sense of taste, and I feel like that helps a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. if you know that about yourself, then yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so stop shaming me, Danny. <laughs> I've been kicked out of Scofflaw so many times for that. Ice, no ice for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so if and when you get bored of mm. bourbon. <laughs> What's the next frontier from here? Where do you go from that? I think it would probably be like Armagnac or something that's like oh, adjacent okay. to like pretty close to whiskey. That'd but be even more of a niche. Yeah. Like I, I feel like there's some really cool things happening there. Like I've dabbled a little already and enjoyed what I've had. And Danny and I have I mean, been we at a some event. Cool yeah. Stuff. yeah. Some very, it was like, what was the oldest thing was like from... I mean, he has stuff from he has stuff from like the 1800s. Yeah, I Uh, forget what the oldest thing was we tasted that night though. It might have been like early 1900s. Oh my gosh, yeah. They actually so we're talking about Bakta Armagnac. I have they just sent me a bottle of 50 year old Armagnac, distilled in 1973. That's very cool. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So I can't wait to pop that. Yeah. And then Danny, 
um, if and when you get tired of Disney, where do you go from there? <laughs> post Disney, yeah. Who can say? I don't. There is. I think it's like as Disney. close to the yeah, sun as yeah, you can that's get. Right. That's like full realization. <laughs> For sure. I've okay. Never, I, I, uh, Got to take the fam there, I guess. That's the next yeah, step. you got to stop going solo and yeah, include the right. kids. Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> this episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock, ready-to-wear options, or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. So, what is your death row meal? So, I've been thinking about this for a long time, but it would definitely be Peace Pizza. Which one? It would be a red pizza. Always, I always go red at yeah. peace, and I it would be pepperoni, jalapeno, broccoli. Mm, wow! wow. And, yeah, it's it's so good. I, I I used to get that all the time. I haven't had it in a while, but I just love that. I love that. Pizza. I do like peace. Yeah, it's, it's great. Solid pizza, definitely top. I'd also top have a side of the Avec chorizo stuffed dates. Yeah, those are good. Uh, absolute, I love those. I'll be so there tomorrow good. for dinner. Yep, that's that's. We live in the same ordinary. neighborhood, by the way. On the West Loop. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Where, where you, well, we'll, we'll talk to you after. He lives in your apartment. What's your door code? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> same building. All right. What is your favorite hidden gem restaurant? Uh, Sultan's Market. Wow. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Cash only like still on North. I think they're yeah. They're Not the uh, one on California. Yeah, Avenue. the one on North Avenue. Yeah, I think they are cash only. Um, but you have to get the falafel sandwich, spicy. And then a lentil soup to go along with it, mm. and that is like, it's so good. And that place, it's been around I don't, forever. yeah, it's been around forever. I mm. don't know if it's a hidden gem still, but yeah, it's first time it's come up. Yeah, I used to go all the time. I used to go all the time. Yeah, I used to live on Caton right there, and that was like the neighborhood spot. And that was the first place I had that Jamaican ginger beer that I had coasted oh. track down at Fresh Marketplace. <laughs> They had it there, huh? I wonder if they still have it. Yeah. Take a visit. Great spot. That might be a part of Chris's order now. <laughs> All right. Maybe the most important question. What's your favorite fast food? <laughs> so I have two. My number one would be McDonald's breakfast. And I go Egg McMuffin. And then I take the hash brown and I put I take the put top off, put it on there. You have Kasama to eat it. Style you have to, yeah, you have to eat it that way. Mm-hmm. And then my second would be, I loved, I, I haven't had one in a while, but I used to love the spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's. I had yeah, one this week. so good. Is it, it is still good? It's still really so good. good. Okay. Yeah. So, I used to one. eat those all the time. Same, yeah. So good. Yeah. It's a good one. All right. Favorite of Jim Snedeker as well. Mm. Uh, all right. I don't know if we covered this. We kind of did, but favorite burb, uh, budget bourbon. Budget bourbon, it's for me, yeah, old granddad bottled in bond. Like I could... I could so drink good. that all day long. And that's yeah. still cheap? How much does that uh, go it's for? It's less than 20 a bottle. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. right around there, yeah. probably. And do we anticipate that changing anytime soon? No, it's come up. I mean, from what it was <laughs> to around 20 or 750, yeah. probably Benny's now. I, I think it it's going to play in the the bottom, I think, for yeah. a long time. The cool thing time. was like having OGD and Old Fitz, both bonded bourbons, one coming from Beam, one coming from Heaven Hill, one weeded, one not. Um, it was just always fun to have those kind of on the back bar. 
Great um, whiskeys. Kind of brothers from another mother yeah. situation. Yeah. Here's a question for Danny. What bourbon can't you get your hands on anymore that used to be commonplace for the uh, Weller 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I'm not trying to mess with this Buffalo Trace stuff <laughs> that we've been talking about, but it is a Buffalo Trace product. And it used to be pretty value, you know, like a $25-ish, $750, older bottle style. And uh, now it's just hard to get. And if you, it retails, yeah, I mean, there's just such a, Out with such it. a long, Come on. A long thing. <laughs> no, it just, yeah, like what Chris was saying, so many of these things have kind of become so scarce, legitimately or not. And so it's just like frustrating to not be able to enjoy them as much. And then if you come across them, it's like you're paying so much more for them. And it's yeah. like something you used to have that, you know, it wasn't as like much of a special occasion product and the product didn't change except that you're paying for it as if it did change. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a little strange. So it just makes you not drink right. that as yeah. much as you might. Just a, a quick tip for a, a weeded bourbon that would play very well against Weller is old elk weeded bourbon. Okay, like, cool. It's a good pick tip. that up. Never it's had it. Fantastic. All right, and sweet. we'll beat Weller in a blind hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah. Is there an instance where, a distillery has been like, you know what? Screw the secondary market. We're going to mark this up ourselves. And is there a law that prevents that from happening? Or No, they could do it. Like a cool thing, again, doesn't exist anymore, but you used to be able to drive to KBD, which is Willet Distillery, and they would release special bottles in their gift shop, like really cool single barrel family estate stuff. And I mean, you had to go there which is yeah. a pain if you live in Chicago. Um, but they, you could buy those bottles on site and they, they would be like relatively expensive, but not like what you'd pay on a secondary market. Yeah. And that was like a really fun thing to be able to do, like go to the gift shop at a certain distillery. I don't think any of them, uh, heaven Hill does it with some of their select stock mm-hmm. stuff or they used to, I haven't been in a long time, but yeah, I, I think there are some brands that have positioned at least some of their products in like that higher price category to try and head off like the secondary market. So if you have to buy a bottle for four or $500 or whatever it might be, like that's going to suppress the secondary market because mm-hmm. it's just like, if it's already starting out at $500, right. yeah, there's no money it's going to be, made. yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite baller bourbon? Baller bourbon. Uh, what would you throw down for and not feel guilty? Probably, if if I could find it, would be Booker's Rye, one of the best whiskeys I've ever tasted. And it's if I could if I could throw down for that, I I would do it. Like, what is? But you just can't. You what does a bottle go for it. if you can find it? Probably, if you found it on the secondary market, few thousand, maybe four thousand bucks. If you could, mm. if you could find Crazy. it, yeah. There's there's bottles that are way more than that, but that's yeah. like if if I could if I could get my hands on that. All right, Danny, we'll see what he can do. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite cocktail? So I don't drink a ton of cocktails, but I do like um I like a black Manhattan. Cool. So especially like as it starts to get colder out, like, like a like a two to one or like a fifty fifty one. You tell me. Uh, I usually yeah, do two to it was one. Like two to one. Yeah. I mean, two ounces of yeah. rye, let's say, and one ounce of Averna. Yeah. So there's a, 
I don't know if you're familiar with St. Agrestus. They do, yeah. a, they do a really good Amaro that I like in the, in the black Manhattan. Really is good. it here in this market? It is in this market okay. now. Cause we use yeah. their Negroni at heavy feather. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, the phony Negroni, I should say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Their stuff is very cool. All right. Outside of beer and whiskey, what's an unexpected trivia category that you would dominate? Probably 80s candy, like as I was growing up. Like, (laughs) I mean, I don't know what kind of questions you'd ask me. Like, I could, but yeah, like, I know a lot of 80s candies. I'm glad you said that because. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's do it. No, what two color sets for the Astro Pops? Astro Pops? Like the Lollipops. Those, like, um, do you remember those? I don't. Went to a sharp point. They had, like, three colors, and there were two colorways. Well, I don't think we had Astro Pops. It's a West Coast thing. Fancy boy. Astro Pops. No, the crazy thing is that it it was, like, a cone shape, and it came to a point that was so sharp. (laughs) He could use it as, like, a weapon afterwards. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Did you grow up here? Yeah. Okay. Northwest suburbs. I've got a Northwest suburb question for you, then. What's your favorite nerd flavor combo? Ooh. They're made in Skokie, Illinois. Nerd flavors. I liked the strawberry oh, really? lemonade. Really the strawberry nerds. lemonade was pretty solid. Yeah. Um, there's a show called Adam Eats the 80s, and it's Adam Richman from yeah. Man vs. Yeah. Food. I actually texted Michael Nagrin about this because I think he'd get a kick out of it, but you should check this out. He like goes back and like they resurrect some recipes from like fast food places and candy companies from the 80s. Oh, I think that's you'd, cool. You dig it. Um, all right. To what do you attribute your success? Um... I would just say, like, persistence and just, you know, sticking with it and and just you just keep going. Um, and then, you know, when, you know, my, my wife says this a lot and I subscri- subscribe to it is, like, opportunities come to you when you're, like, enthusiastically out there, like, doing the work. And so I, you know, that's just what I do. And I, I put stuff out that, that I enjoy and I'm persistent about it and I just stick to it. And I feel like it's brought me a lot of cool things in, in terms of opportunities and other, other stuff, people that I've met, et cetera. Makes sense. Yeah. Got to put yourself out there. Yeah. All right. And then our last question, what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? I think that I kind of just touched on it. Like you gotta, you have to be persistent. Like you have to, you have to stick with things like you can't just give it a shot. And if it doesn't go exactly how you want it, give up. Like you got to stick to it. Like I, I, I didn't do that enough when I was, when I was younger and I've just, I've learned that as I've gone on, like if you just persist, like a lot of times that's like a huge part of it. Yeah. It's the just, story of this podcast. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It's just a story of stock for it. sure. Like yeah. there are so many times where we're like, this could have shut us down, yeah. but it's like, no, we'll figure it out, pivot. Yeah, yeah keep going. Yeah. yeah. Good advice. I'm glad I could steal that from you. <laughs> Put my name on it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah Thank thanks, you, guys. Chris. Really appreciate it. And that concludes our conversation with the urban bourbonist, a.k.a. Chris Blattner, Thanks for tuning in this week. Remember to check us out on social media. You know the spiel. This episode is produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts, and reels by the one and only Joe Guzzo III. And don't forget to leave us a review wherever you <laughs> listen to your podcast. Give and a rest. You know, give us some ratings as well if you're feeling so inclined. How and, many uh, stars? Uh, at least five. <laughs> and don't forget to tell ten friends. Tell ten friends. That you rated it. 
that you rated it. Check you next week. See ya.